I'm Gregory Berg. The following morning show interview was originally broadcast way back in 1998. It's with Dr. Patricia Gober, who for many years was a highly regarded professor of geography at Arizona State University. The occasion of this conversation was her return to her hometown of Kenosha to receive an honorary doctorate from Carthage College. I remember thoroughly enjoying this conversation because it dramatically expanded my own understanding of just how wide-ranging and rich the field of geography actually is. By the way, Professor Gober recently retired from Arizona State University. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, the subject on the morning show today is geography. And we're going to, I think, expand your notion a bit of just what the area of geography entails. Maybe the last time you played Trivial Pursuit, uh, you picked a few of those uh, blue-coated questions that are under the, the, the category of geography, but maybe you were struck by the fact that they're almost all about uh, this isthmus is located such and such, and such and such is the capital of wherever, and actually that does not begin to really fully display the range of geography or its importance in modern society. And somebody who could really shed some light on that in a significant way is Dr. Patricia Gober, who uh, is a native of Kenosha, and she is back in town this weekend uh, with her family, with her husband, uh, Professor William Graff, and uh, their daughter, Kelly. Uh, Patricia Gober is going to be receiving an honorary doctorate from Carthage College. And uh, she is in town for that uh, occasion and is joining us on the morning show today uh, to tell us a little bit about the work that she does uh, on an ongoing basis. Uh, herself and her husband, both geographers, and she is president of the Association of American Geographers. So we can uh, also talk about the field in general, all the work being done uh, in, in the field of geography. Uh, Dr. Patricia Gober, we welcome you to the morning show. My pleasure, Greg. It was fun to talk to you before tape rolled to find out that uh, you and your husband are avid uh, public radio listeners. Has that been uh, your uh, your taste for a long time? Oh, I'd say for the last uh, three or four years. A, a friend started me out on uh, All Things Considered, and from there there was no turning back. So uh, I'm something of a public radio junkie. <laughs> well, we're glad to, to have you with us then for that reason and many more. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your, your background in relation to uh, Kenosha. This is where you were born? I was born at uh, St. Catherine's Hospital. Uh, I spent my first uh, 18 years uh, going to grade school. I went to St. Joseph's High School. I uh, went from uh, Kenosha to the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, where I did my undergraduate degree from there and began to uh, my study of geography at that time. I went from uh, Whitewater to um, the Ohio State University for my master's degree and, and Ph.D. and took my first job, which is now... Uh, my current job hmm. as a uh, professor of geography at Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona. And you teach right down the hallway from uh, your husband, William Graff, is Across that right? Across the hall. He, uh, he, his office is located. Although our interests are, are, are quite different, I'm a, um, a human geographer, a social scientist, and so I'm interested in, in cities and in, in demography and in population processes. And my husband is what's called a, a fluvial geomorphologist, and he's a specialist Ooh. in river, <laughs> river mechanics. Ah. Uh, and... Uh, uh, um, more uh, uh, natural processes where I'm more, more interested in human. Although geographers are, are by nature 
interested in the the interaction between human beings and the natural environment. So how people use the um, the natural environment is a central question in geography and one that both of us are interested in. We had talked uh, just before tape rolled about how uh, people's notion of what geography is is a, is a pretty limited one. And it also sounds like the, the nature of geographical study has, has maybe changed over the last few years and, and uh, taken on maybe uh, d different sorts of emphases. When you first studied geography, um, what kinds of things were, were the focus of, of that discipline and, and where has the discipline gone from there? Well, you know, uh, my study of geography it has, has evolved. I think when I first studied geography at, at Whitewater, Geography had more of a place name uh, orientation. So what we really wanted to do was to understand the geography in the, in the popular notion of the Soviet Union, what was then the Soviet Union, where different places were located and what was, what was going on in those places. Uh, as I moved from my undergraduate days into my graduate studies at, uh, at Ohio State, Geography took on more of a scientific perspective, and so we saw ourselves as geographic scientists. We were interested in how people organize themselves and their economic activity in space. Uh, and we were looking to develop some ideas that helped us understand the spatial distribution of population processes and urban um, events and, and economic decision making. Uh, I think geography now is evolving much more towards a, 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 a kind of a combination of those two so that we, we study how again, how human processes interact with environmental processes and create places, places that are different from one another all across the United States and, and across the rest of the world. So we have, I think, as our, as our first goal to understand where things are, but then we want to understand how they work in different places and, and why um, uh, environmental processes work the way they do across the surface of the earth and, and how the global economy functions ac across the surface of the earth. And those are, 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 are today's geographic questions. Mm -hmm. In kind of a, maybe at its simplest level, are we sort of talking about where human beings settle and why? I mean, where communities spring up and why a community springs up here rather than over here. Is that part of it or, or, or not really? Absolutely. I, I think we're interested in, in the why. And then we, we tack on another question, so what? Uh, uh, w w what does it matter that, that people are distributed the, the way it does? What does that mean for, um, for the economy, society, for politics? Uh, the changing, we, we're interested, for example, in the changing distribution of the United States. One of my specific areas of interest is in, in migration patterns. And so I'm interested in, in why people move from place to place. But then there's that so what question. What happens to the, um, the geography of uh, representation in the Congress as a result mm -hmm. of people moving the, the way they move? I'm interested in immigration patterns. So where do immigrants settle once they get to the United States? And uh, we can look at maps of that. But then we say, well, what does that mean for local school districts? And what does that mean for local elections that, that, uh, that we've got the, the geographic distribution that, that we do? So it's wh where, where, are these, where are people found and 
why do they settle where they do, and what are the consequences of the fact that they, they're so settled? How much uh, of the field is devoted to what maybe is sort of a historical geography of, about answering those questions, but in the past, as far as why did people settle in Kenosha, for instance? I mean, do a lot of geographers spend much time with that, or are you more rooted in the present and maybe trying to maybe forecast the future a little bit? There's a whole subfield called historical geography where, where geographers pursue the, um, uh, the kinds of questions that, that you just mentioned. Uh, I, I would say they represent a, a small proportion of the field, but they certainly provide the, the backdrop um, for the kind of questions that people interested in contemporary processes um, uh, Look, so we we, um, we we look to the historical geographers to tell us what the the historical geography of Wisconsin looked like, and and it's on that historical geography that now the 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 current population change is taking place. It occurs to me too that um, some of what you're talking about could really have a bearing on very tangible things, tangible projects. For instance, here in your hometown of Kenosha, where a great deal of development is underway now uh, at the lakefront in the downtown area. And uh, I think some of the experts who were probably brought in at the planning stage to try to decide what should we build here, what uh, can the population support, and who's likely to come, and so on. Uh, I have a feeling that geographers had at least something to do with the study of, of the feasibility of, of an undertaking like that. Is that a common area for geographers to be involved in? Oh yes, geographers are, uh, find work in planning agencies. They find work in um, uh, with private consultants in a field we call marketing geography. So we we find what is the the best location, the best location for a new industry. Uh, geographers help to to um, to explore those kinds of questions. So I would certainly hope that geographers would would be involved. It, it's been now some 25 years since I've lived in Kenosha, so I'm 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 not really qualified to comment on the on the Kenosha scene. I have noticed though that that uh, uh, when I come to Kenosha, I come in part as a as a as a daughter, but I also come as a geographer, and I've been so taken with the way the 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 geography of Kenosha has changed from the time from the time I lived here. It was a uh, in in the 1950s. Kenosha was a self-contained place, and the, the center of gravity for the community was the downtown area and and the lake. And uh, uh, as I come back now and, and look at Kenosha and the kind of development taking place out on uh, out on the west, and I and I look at my uh, figures from the United States Census, and I see Kenosha now is a is part of the Chicago metropolitan area. Uh, it, it's a very different kind of a place economically than it was when I grew up and was dominated by American Motors. So the the, the geography of of, uh, of Kenosha I see is just a um, a small little piece of something that 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 concerns geographers this uh, this change from an industrial society to a post-industrial society and that that transition from industrialism to post-industrialism that story is being played out very vividly in in Kenosha as now Kenosha becomes much more suburban and is oriented to to Chicago instead of being the the self-contained industrial town that I grew up in mm. we're talking today with uh, Dr. Patricia Goldberg she is a a geographer and teaches geography at uh, 
Arizona State University. Am I naming your institution correctly? You have it right, Greg. <laughs> okay. It's so, so good to have you here. She is going to be receiving an honorary doctorate this weekend uh, from uh, Carthage College, and so that is the reason for this particular visit. Uh, she's joined here by her husband, who is a professor also at Arizona State University in Geography, William Graff, and their daughter Kelly is also along for the, uh, for the ride in the studio today. So uh, we're happy to have all of you here. What is sort of the nuts and bolts process of a geographer to to study a, a, a given question, a, a given topic? Uh, what are the resources that are available to you, and, and where do you go, for that matter, where do your students go to, to research a particular question? Well, it would depend on what kind of a question we were, we were asking, and, and, uh, uh, and so I'm a, uh, a, a social, primarily a social scientist with an interest in, in urban and population and economic geography. And so the, one of the major sources of information from, from my work is the United States Census and other information that's, being, that, that's put out by the, by the federal government. And we often use that information in uh, what are called geographical information systems. They're computerized systems for storing and uh, analyzing and displaying geographic information. Uh, so they're computerized maps, and they have data built in them. And so we often use geographical information systems to help us analyze um, particular problems. Uh, now, my husband is uh, is more of a, a, a natural scientist in, in his interest in, in rivers, and so much of the work, much of the information that he collects is what we call primary research. He actually goes out in the field and makes measurements and looks at aerial photo um, photography and compares what he sees currently with what existed in the past when those pictures were taken. And some of that information is also put into geographical information systems and helps us uh, answer the kinds of questions that we ask. Hmm. Now, when you get down to uh, more social science questions like why people are settling in such numbers, I was, I was going to suggest as maybe one, one question. I happen to have a sibling who lives in Asheville, North Carolina, mm -hmm. and somebody uh, has told her, I've read in a couple places, that Asheville, North Carolina, in that area, is one of the fastest-growing areas in the, in the entire United States. Now, if, if, you, if the question were posed to you or you posed the question to one of your students, why is that happening? Why is Asheville attracting all these people just in, in incredible numbers? Um, how do you go about solving that, that question or trying to come up with a, a meaningful answer? Well, I think I would look at uh, the... I'd, I'd look at that answer, or I'd look at that question from a number of uh, we called scales. I'd, I'd look at it at a real at a real small small scale of Asheville, and I'd look what kind of attributes that does Asheville have that is attracting population, and what kind of people are being attracted there. But I'd also look. And I think we'd have to look if we if we want to understand the redistribution patterns of the United States in in the very recent past. You have to look at larger scale um, processes as well. So I would be looking at uh, major migration patterns from the, the the north to the south, and what are the the reasons why people have moved not not just to Asheville but why people are are moving to the Sun Belt. And I would look um, again at the, the characteristics of the people itself. I would be looking at the Sun Belt, but I'd also have to be looking at the places from which they're leaving. 
so I would have to know where the people who are going to Asheville are coming from and what's happening to the demography and, and, and most importantly, what's happening to the economy of the places that, that they're leaving. So in the United States, we had a process called, we call it deindustrialization. Uh, so the shift away from an, um, an industrial economy to this post-industrial economy. And that was responsible, m many geographers believe, for, for much of the out-migration from the traditional Rust Belt. So some of what's happening in a, in a, in a Sunbelt place like Asheville is because it's an attractive location. Another explanation is that other places are finding themselves in disadvantageous position relative to what's happening in the in the national economy and indeed in the global economy. And then and then we look at a global scale, and, and look at what forces are are um, advantaging the United States over the various other places in the system, so that international immigrants are, are are coming here. So it's a really complicated question and has to be looked at from a number a number of levels. I suppose that's one reason why uh, the field of geography uh, is flourishing as it is, because as we continue to live in this ever more complicated, complex mm -hmm. world, um, the, the answers to those questions uh, are just going to kind of defeat the average person, and you really need somebody who can bring a lot of resources and, and experience to bear to, to, to solve a question like that. Well, I think in many ways geography has been rediscovered in the in the in the 1990s. I think as we have become a, a more global society, a, a more global economy, and indeed a, a, we've come to realize that we live in a global environment. Uh, people have come to realize that they need to know about about other places, and that geography is is the way they can learn about other places. So, uh, uh, geography has uh, experienced a, a great deal of growth in the in the last 15 years or so, in part because of the public's awareness of the fact that we have some information and we have some expertise that uh, that they need. Let me let me interject at this point that that one of the uh, the great uh, leaders in. Uh, in uh, raising the, the, the visibility and the importance of geography has been our partner at the National Geographic Society. Um, many children have been raised in households that subscribe to, to the National, National Geographic. And the National Geographic Society funded a huge initiative uh, spending some $85 million on geographic education over the mm. last uh, over the last 15 years. And uh, the National Geographic Society founded uh, st what are called state geographic alliances. They're organizations of geography teachers. And last week, the National Geography B was held in Washington, D.C. It was also funded by, supported by, originated by the National Geographic Society. So the, the NGS has played a very important role over the last 15 years in raising the public's visibility of, uh, of, of geography. And then uh, a professional university geographers have formed partnerships with, uh, with the National Geographic Society and have provided you know, the, the baseline information that these teachers would then use to stimulate greater interest in geography in the in the public schools hmm. so it's a, it's it's a it's been a wonderful partnership and i'm i've tried to 
to get people to stop thinking about uh, K-12, kindergarten through 12 education, and let's start talking about K-20 geographic education. And, and let's mm. talk about how uh, universities should have a, a vested interest in, in the geography be being taught in our kindergartens and our, our elementary schools and our high schools and our community colleges and our colleges and our graduate programs. And let's think of this as a, a seamless process instead of just giving high school teachers the job of geographic education at their level and I think that's uh, we, we've come around to that uh, to that thinking today hmm. the, the way you describe geography particularly your side of it versus uh, the, the the side that your your husband uh, explores and researches uh, the the area of human geography seems like it's a, a close uh, close cousin with um, maybe areas like sociology or uh, uh, economics uh, in, in what way do you find yourself sort of intersection, uh, intersecting with other disciplines? Oh, very closely. The, um, w w when I was uh, trained uh, in graduate school, I worked very closely with the sociologists who were also interested in demography, uh, population processes, and I took many courses uh, in, in, in the economics department because I also had an interest in economic development. Uh, so I, I, I worked very closely with uh, social scientists in, in other fields. An interesting um, uh, change, though, is, has been taking place in geography. I think, I think for, for many years we've been geographers in departments of, uh, of human geographers, and we've been social scientists, and we've interacted with other social scientists, and we've shared geography departments with uh, physical geographers who are... Uh, climatologists, they're interested in atmospheric processes, uh, geomorphologists, another big word, people interested in landforms, and, and biogeographers, people interested in, um, in e ecological processes. And we've, we've, we've shared space in these departments, human geographers um, inter as social scientists and then the physical geographers as natural scientists. And I don't think we did as much together as we should have. Our physical our, our physical geographer colleagues were connected with uh, with physics and with geology and with ecology, and and the human geographers were connected with uh, economists and the anthropologists and the sociologists. But I think society now has come to the realization that uh, humans in the environment human behavior is having an important role in changing our environments and that geographers are uniquely well positioned because we've shared departments for so long to make those connections to have human mm. to have social scientists sitting down with with natural scientists and trying to work out the connections between uh, human behavior and environmental problems uh, and I, I see geography moving in that direction, becoming more like what it was 25 years ago when I first started studying geography, kind of a synthetic and an integrative process where we try to put a, take a whole bunch of ideas about places and, and put them together in really new and exciting ways. And uh, um, certainly the federal government, major funding institutions, uh, policy bodies are, are telling us very, very uh, strongly that that's the kind of information that, that we want. And there aren't very many other disciplines out there who can claim that connection between uh, social science and, and natural science better than geography can.
We're talking with Dr. Patricia Gober from the uh, from Arizona State University, where she teaches geography. We're talking about the field of geography and and how it's uh, a much broader and much deeper discipline than maybe a lot of us uh, realize. We have kind of a quaint notion of what geographers do or what the topic of geography is all about. And it it uh, as uh, Dr. Gober has just explained so eloquently is something that just uh, touches every sphere of our lives as as human beings and and very much touches on the the uh, many of the important facets of our of our collective life as a as a country and a nation and a world uh, how much are geographers involved in sort of a proactive way with seeking out solutions to problems like uh, urban sprawl or um, or uh, inner city decay or uh, the the mass flight that has happened at least in certain parts of rural America where uh, some of the most bright, uh, brightest, most gifted uh, people are, are leaving for, for urban areas and so on. Uh, is geography, by its very nature, any kind of a problem-solving discipline, or uh, is solving some of these challenges left, left to others? It, it varies from individual to individual, but as part of my uh, job this year as president of the Association of American Geographers, I, I traveled around the country and visited with geographers who, who really are involved in, I guess, what I call grassroots geographic study. I, I met one man in uh, Kutztown, Pennsylvania, who is on the um, Lehigh Valley, he's a geographer, and he's on the Lehigh Valley uh, County Commission. He's, he's, a, he's a county commissioner. And he ran on the slogan, vote for me, I'm a geographer. Uh, <laughs> and he made the case that his geographic training gave him special insights into the county's problems. Uh, the county's problems are uh, the, rest of the uh, preservation of farmland. Uh, the county was interested in uh, downtown redevelopment in Allentown. The county was getting ready to set up its own geographical information system. And so this man, a geographer, is in a field that, that developed such systems. Uh, and, and so he was elected to the county commission on the basis of the f uh, arguing that uh, his training as a geographer rendered him especially equipped to uh, to address those those questions. And I think you look at geographers all all across the country and, uh, and and they're playing a very active role in local level um, uh, public policy issues as well as national public policy issues. Hmm. One very pressing issue in southeast Wisconsin that you may not be directly uh, acquainted with is the fact that uh, well first of all there is some movement underway from from certain certain areas of the possibility of trying to reestablish significant uh, passenger train, passenger mm -hmm. rail service uh, into Milwaukee mm -hmm. uh, from Chicago, reestablishing uh, a line that once existed and does not anymore, and, and uh, possibly extending some of that kind of service uh, west out of Milwaukee. And um, it's been interesting to talk to various proponents uh, of, 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 that, of that possible development. And, and you kind of see their eyes get big with the with the dreams of if we only had this train, then these sorts of things might happen. 
this this kind of growth might be possible or, or, or and uh, but it must not be easy to make those kind of predictions with any kind of certainty I suspect that geographers have some of the tools to try to really explore the feasibility of things like that or where do we where do we need to build our highways and how many highways do we need when will we need more of them in the future and so on and and we we straddle the fence between um, being scientists and then being planners and having a prescriptive role. Uh, many geographers take the position that, it, that it's our responsibility to provide the, the background information upon which decision makers can make good decisions. And some of us um, like the man from Pennsylvania that I just described, step over that line and become themselves decision makers. So I'd say that I, I'd say, in all fairness, that the vast majority of geographers operate in that scientific realm, uh, and some of them cross over and become activists and decision makers. What to, has has been sort of the the thrust of of most of your work? Uh, the, the specific areas of interest. I think actually you've maybe touched on one or two of them already in the course of our conversation. Well, I'd say two general sets of questions. The, the first are, are uh, uh, demographic questions. And so, I, I, again, I'm interested in, um, in population redistribution and in migration and uh, immigration immigration, the um, movement of people from abroad to the United States. And then I'm interested in, in the way they move once they get here. So I, I did a recent study that, uh, that looked at the internal movement patterns of Cubans versus Vietnamese versus mm. Mexicans versus Salvadorans, um, Indians, Koreans, all the new immigrant groups, and how likely are they to move once they arrive here, and are they becoming more concentrated as a result of their movement, or are they spreading out? It's an assimilation question. Are they, um, are they geographically assimilating across the population as a whole, or are they settling in, in Cuban communities and Korean communities? And the answer to that is different groups are behaving, are behaving in different ways. So there's demographic questions uh, uh, concern me. And then I have a, a, another interest in, uh, in urban geography. And my university is located in one of the fastest growing metropolitan areas in, in the nation. I might, uh, um, as an aside here, no, uh, uh, no county in the United States grew, experienced more growth between 1990 and 1997 than the Phoenix County, uh, Maricopa County. We had growth of 546,000 people between 1990 and 1997. Wow. The place is just <laughs> mushrooming. And from a, from a geographer's perspective, you just cannot ignore that, that kind of growth. So I have another, uh, another set of interests in um, uh, growth at the urban fringe in Phoenix. Uh, where is it happening? Um, uh, it, 
do land use policies in certain communities create a, a different kind of a, a growth at the fringe, a more uh, clustered development at the fringe, and do um, weak land use policies and weak development policies of other communities cause leapfrog development and um, real low density growth at, at the fringe? So that, that those urban geography questions also have interested me in large part because of where I live. Hmm. So you're right where the action is in terms of uh, urban growth. I am indeed. You can, <laughs> you, uh, you you really can't ignore it. And this this last project has uh, uh, brought me together with a team of. Uh, 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 ecologists at uh, at my university, and we are part of a a large uh, research project sponsored by the National F Science Foundation uh, uh, that works toward uh, long-term ecological monitoring, and uh, so we're trying to understand what the how the ecology of Central Arizona is changing as a result of the urbanization. Mm -hmm. So. My fellow social scientists and I are, are, under, are trying to understand the, the growth at the fringe to give information to the ecologists. The ecologists um, talk about the urban fringe as an area of disturbance. Uh, and so uh, um, we tell them that the human actions that are creating the disturbance that, that so interests uh, uh, them in, in their research. So it's, kind of, it's been, again, a, a fun connection between uh, social scientists and, and natural science. Hmm. Do you feel that uh, when a city is, is in, a, in a process of growth particularly and needs to make certain decisions ab about uh, where the shopping centers are going to go, where the major arteries of travel and so on should be laid and, and uh, it, whether or not uh, that growth should be guided or not, most of the time do sort of the natural forces, the kind of the natural lay of the land and where people are, does it kind of all take care of itself or do you feel like cities need to do a better job of making some of these growth and development questions uh, more analytically with the help perhaps of geographers like yourself? I live in the Wild West, uh, <laughs> and and the answer to that question um, from a person who was raised in Wisconsin w would be the public sector needs to play a much stronger role in guiding the growth of the, of the future, and that we will all have better lives if the public sector plays that role. I live in a in a political culture that is very suspicious of the public making decisions, of the the public taking uh, a private citizen uh, taking away the right of a private citizen to do what he or she wants with his his land, and so that tension between what's in the the public interest uh, to create more rational. Uh, cities where people travel shorter distances to work, um, where we don't gobble up all of the open space in, uh, a as we um, a as we grow. Uh, uh, certainly, the, the Wisconsin part of me uh, accepts that as a uh, a necessity. The Arizona part of me realizes um, that uh, that uh, that's a 
it's probably unrealistic in the in the urban environment that that I live in. Our newspaper runs stories has run a story almost every single day for the last two weeks on urban growth controls, and has done so oh every year for the last twenty years. Um, it is a um, it, it's a it's a, a philosophy that uh, that people in uh, that people in Arizona, I don't think, want to accept. So yes, I think geographers should play a much stronger role, and I think planning should play a much stronger role in in, in shaping in shaping our urban environments. Um, uh, I don't I don't see that happening in Central Arizona. Hmm. One of the most beautiful places I've lived is Lincoln, Nebraska, and for whatever reason, that seemed like a community. It's a city of, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 140 or 150,000, not a huge city by any means, but it struck me as a city where they sat down, whoever they are, and made very specific and careful and logical decisions about the fact that they wanted to do everything they could to enhance downtown Lincoln and to really preserve it and they have done exactly that and and have been very consistent in the decisions they've made for zoning and so on uh and and the result is this beautiful city that just sort of makes sense and and fits together properly and uh there they it strikes me as one of those success stories uh, you suggest that maybe those su success stories are maybe uh, all too all too rare i stayed at the corn husker in downtown lincoln not a month ago, really, and so I know of what you speak, Greg. <laughs> but but let, let let me let me tell you a little bit about why why Phoenix is different, and and it has to do part of it has to do with something that I'm really interested in, and it is migration. Uh, a Kenosha and a Lincoln and a Milwaukee are inhabited by people who were who were born here. Who have lived here for for a long period of time? Um, I might point out that 70% uh, of the people who live in Wisconsin today were born in Wisconsin. Hmm. In Arizona, everybody's from someplace else. Uh, a third of the people who live in Arizona today were born in Arizona, and most of those are children. The vast majority of people who, who, who live in Arizona came from someplace else. Um, and so you don't have that, that common community, uh, that, that sense of a community that you would have in a Kenosha or that, that, that you would have in a, in, a, in a Lincoln. People with shared values, people with a shared vision of the future. Um, ours is a vision that's shaped from elsewhere. Uh, uh, the other thing that related aspect of Phoenix that's different is that we have very, very high turnover. Uh, Phoenix grows because um, five people move in and then four people move out. And there's an, there's a, an incredible churning turnover of our population from, from one year to the next. Mm. So, so that investment in the Many people don't make that investment in the future, be it in public transportation, be it in a, um, a physical infrastructure, uh, be it in planning, uh, because they won't be there uh, five or ten years from from now. Mm -hmm. It's a different uh, demography, uh, if you will, a different kind of migration culture that makes it very difficult to to, to plan and, and to invest in a in a in a place like Phoenix. Now, now let me let me say, having having 
painted Phoenix in, in something of a negative light with this high mobility. Let me say also, and I, I know this will be true of your listeners who have been there, it's a place of incredible energy and excitement and innovation. You bring people from other p places together, and the synergy that comes from that is, is amazing, um, and, and new ideas come from uh, from such a uh, such a, a mix of people um, people are not tradition bound they don't have to behave the same way that that their parents and their grandparents behave because they're they're in a new place and they've decided to start over so there, there are pros and cons associated with this culture of uh, uh, of migration uh, mm. but but one of the, the the costs is the lack of planning I suppose and the fact that maybe there's a little less sense of the big picture or the long term i mean you when it comes time to well should we build a walmart right here i mean you don't necessarily have people making that decision based on well is this good for the community and for this neighborhood 10 15 20 years down the road you're looking at a bottom line today absolutely um, and will it be will it be the best decision for our children what does it matter because uh, we'll be someplace else and probably our children will be someplace yeah. else that's a um um, I, I think that's a prevailing public ethic in a place like Phoenix. Hmm. So when you come back to Kenosha, you said that you come back not only as a daughter of the city, but as, as a geographer also. Um, is it pretty much on a very informal basis that you sort of see where Kenosha is, uh, is sort of moving and, and shaking? Or, I mean, do you pick up the phone and call somebody down at City Hall, and do you, uh, you, know, do you investigate it with any sort of serious interest or do you just do it as an interested observer interested observer um, I think I have my hands full with Phoenix <laughs> and, and 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 I don't come here enough to feel it or ex or ex experience it to, um, so that it, it's kind of an armchair geographer as, mm. as, uh, as I come here generally speaking do you like what you see when you come back to Kenosha does it seem like to you that it's growing in relatively healthy ways Oh, I think so. I, I, uh, uh, I, I think it's growing in the only way that it, it could. I, I, think it, I think Kenosha has made an, an outstanding uh, recovery from the loss of its industrial base, and it's found a new niche for itself. Uh, and uh, um, it's, uh, it, it, it's healthy, it's thriving, it's growing. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful place to be. Well, we did have in, in, do have in the studio with us today uh, Dr. Patricia uh, Gober's husband, uh, Professor uh, William L. Graff, who also teaches geography at uh, Arizona State University. Uh, not in the field of human geography, but in some other amazingly fancy term. Uh, <laughs> what was that again? Uh, well, thank you, Greg. It, uh, <laughs> before I answer your question, I wanted to tell you what a pleasure it is to be back in Wisconsin, although... Pat uh, came from Wisconsin and spent many years here. Uh, we crossed paths when she was going to Ohio State University. At that time, I was going to the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Oh. And so my bachelor, master's, and Ph.D. degrees are all from uh, the University of Wisconsin, and Wisconsin is uh, a very strong part of my background and, and development, so it's an important say. component there. Oh, well, and, we're glad to have you back then. Well, thank you. Uh, it was part of the development of the specialty that uh, we're describing as fluvial geomorphology. Fluvial means river, and geomorphology is an earth science that focuses on earth surface processes and landforms. So my particular specialty is trying to explain why rivers behave the way they do, 
And whereas Pat worries about why people move from one place to another, I worry about how and why water moves from one place to another, and why and how it carries sediment, nutrients, and pollutants from one place to another. Mm. Boy, that's a, a very important field in this day and age, isn't it, with some of the concerns being raised uh, in all kinds of spheres. Well, the, the urban development uh, that, that you've been discussing here this morning obviously has very dramatic implications for natural processes. In part, the urban development and kinds of ways we'd like to see our cities and rural areas be in the future is dependent on the resource base. And at the same time, those developments and changes we make as people influence that resource base. So I see it as an integral part of human culture. We have uh, dealt with here in Wisconsin the the issue of of uh, groundwater contamination and river contamination with uh, I think most drastically dramatically in uh, the cryptosporidium outbreak uh, in the Milwaukee area and and, uh, and in par parts north, which I think probably brought to the public attention some of these issues that you that you're talking about that that uh, we were sort of blissfully unaware of until all of a sudden. The, the, the flow of water and the things that it picks up on the way uh, started to affect all of our lives in really frightening ways. I think this is a reflection of the urbanization of our culture. If we were to discuss these issues uh, 50 or 100 years ago, all of us here, or many of us here, and many of our listeners would have been from a farm, and they would have uh, been heavily dependent on a direct interaction with water and the natural environment. But as urban dwellers, we take it for granted that when we turn the spigot, fresh, clean water will be readily available at a minimal price and hopefully for free. Hmm. Uh, these perceptions, of course, aren't exactly correct. We're, we're heavily dependent on this flow of fresh, clean water. And when we experience an outbreak like the, the uh, outbreak in Milwaukee that you described, we suddenly come to the realization that uh, our water supply is fragile and that its quality depends on uh, perceptive management and long-term planning, which we've been talking about with other uh, parts of the urban infrastructure. The cryptosporidium outbreak is a perfect example of how when we think we have things under control, in fact, we don't. Uh, for example, we don't uh, filter our water adequately to remove microorganisms of this type because we felt it was unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, we find that it's very necessary <laughs> to pay attention to this. Yeah, very much the uh, the other the other way. Some of the great horror stories, uh, most terrible horror stories, maybe is a better way to put it, are are from uh, some of the rivers in Europe. Do you uh, spend much time in study of rivers in other parts of the world and and the damage that's been done to some of them? Not a great deal. I tend to specialize in American rivers simply for sake, I guess, of convenience more than anything else, and also from the standpoint of having an interest in their historical context. But in doing so, of course, we have to place the American experience within a larger context of a global experience. The uh, major cryptosporidium outbreaks on a global basis are not in the United States and never have been. They have been in Eastern Europe and in Russia. So much of what we know about this organism and how it behaves comes not from our experience here, but from our experiences elsewhere. Interesting. I wasn't uh, I wasn't aware of any of that. That's sort of typically American, too, isn't it, that we don't look beyond our borders quite <clears throat> enough? Americans are incredibly introspective, uh, and they think that the world starts and stops at their own border. Mm. Uh, in part, though, I explain that uh, to myself, I guess, and to my students as 
a reflection of the fact that we're fortunate enough to live in an incredibly diverse nation and a very large nation with a magnificent natural resource base, probably an unparalleled uh, natural resource base if we considered it with other nations around the globe. So in part, I guess I excuse Americans uh, on that ground. When you travel to Europe or Asia uh, or to Australia, uh, though you find out that uh, the world is very much more variable than what we see just uh, within our own borders. Mm -hmm. Uh, your your wife is a human geographer, uh, happening to, to live close to this dynamically growing uh, population base and so on, all sorts of interesting things to look at. You're studying rivers in the middle of Arizona. That strikes me as a rather uh, uh, odd choice. Uh, I've heard it called uh, things in addition to being an <laughs> odd choice. Uh, Actually, uh, the landscape of the American West is largely a product of running water. In most instances, at some point in the past, those areas have experienced moist climates, uh, active rivers, erosion and sedimentation that shape the landscape we see today. Most of the people who specialize in my kind of research, geomorphology, like to be able to see the landscape easily and to measure it easily. And that means that all of the vegetation that we enjoy here in Wisconsin is nothing more than an interruption in one's investigative processes. Hmm. So if you're luxurious enough to be able to investigate these processes in an area where vegetation is lacking or where it's minimal, it makes my research easier. Hmm. I'll have to tell you, too, that it's a lot easier to study a river if it conveniently dries up once in a while and you can walk around on its bed. I never stop to think about that as well. Well, that's uh, certainly very interesting. Let me pose one question to your daughter, Kelly, who's sitting uh, right between you. Kelly, are you going to be a geographer, too, just like your uh, mother and father? Do you find uh, all of this talk about geography interesting? Yeah, I do, but I think I'd rather study plants and then include geography with it. Oh. Go. Okay, so a little geography and botany will be yeah. what, what you uh, investigate. What grade in school are you? I'm going into the sixth grade. Oh, okay. Well, it's good to have two parents who can give you so much hope on y help on your homework, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're certainly glad that you are all here uh, in the Kenosha area again, and uh, and uh, Dr. Patricia Gober, as uh, you receive an honorary doctorate uh, tomorrow, I know that uh, many people will be wishing you well and are, are certainly glad uh, that... Uh, you've been uh, afforded this particular honor. What is ahead for you in the near future in terms of your studies and, and, and so on, uh, projects? and? Well, one uh, exciting uh, uh, event on our horizon is uh, our, our family has uh, plans to uh, spend the uh, year, the academic year 1999 and 2000 in New Zealand. Wow. Um, yes, my husband and I will be taking our, uh, our sabbatical leave. We're allowed uh, a year off every seven years, and so we've arranged to, uh, to spend our time in, uh, in New Zealand, where I will look at uh, immigration, which is every bit as important in, in New Zealand as it is in the United States. And my husband will be looking at, uh, at New Zealand rivers, and my daughter will be attending school in, in Auckland. So that's a very exciting uh, uh, opportunity for us in the in the oh, kind of the midterm. In the near term, I've um, I've been appointed to a number of uh, uh, boards, uh, and uh, I will be um, uh, sitting on the board of uh, uh, executive board of 
something called the Population Reference Bureau. It's the uh, the major organization for population education in the country. It's located in Washington, D.C., hmm. and so I, I'll be working very closely with them uh, next year in um, getting more geography in their materials and making their materials uh, of greater interest in geography. And I'll be uh, representing geography on uh, uh, the Consortium for Social Science Associations, so making sure that our voice is, is heard in Washington and making sure that uh, uh, the Washington funding policy uh, scene is, uh, is understood among geographers. Hmm, fascinating. And uh, Professor Graf, I understand that you are a part of the American Commission on River Renovation, am I saying that correctly? Well, it's a good description of the, uh, <laughs> the mission of this organization. Uh, you may recall in his um, State of the Union message in 1997, President Clinton established what he called an American Heritage Rivers Initiative. The argument was that local organizations need an opportunity to organize themselves to combine restoration, preservation of historic and cultural features, and economic development. Uh, the, the president's vision here was that he wanted to make sure that these local organizations could find their way through the mounds of red tape and paperwork in Washington <laughs> in an efficient fashion. And so he argued that it would be wise if the federal government could designate certain rivers around the nation with this particular status based on nominations by local uh, organizations. And then the federal government would provide those rivers so designated with notoriety, assistance in obtaining uh, financial support, and with uh, what he called a river navigator, which was a special person designed to help these organizations find their way through the federal bureaucracy. Over the past two years, 126 local organizations have nominated themselves and their rivers, and the president has now established a commission to sift through these nominations and to recommend to him what uh, we think are the ones that are most likely to be su successful and effective in achieving the objectives of the initiative. So mm. that's the present uh, activity as far as I'm concerned at the national level. Uh, we do have, by the way, some nominations from Wisconsin, uh, oh. including the Wolf River and the Fox River, and one that's not quite too far from us at this point, the Milwaukee River, uh, has also been nominated with a group of local citizens who uh, banded together, tried to make some sense out of this chaotic uh, urban and agricultural landscape uh, laced together by the Milwaukee River. And so they'll be considered along with uh, more than 100 others for potential designation. Interesting. Well, we'll be interested to see how that uh, all turns out in the end and wish you well with that uh, undertaking. Thank you, Greg. Yes. Uh, Professor uh, William Graff teaches geography, and our guest of honor today, Dr. Patricia Goldberg, about to receive an honorary doctorate from Carthage College. Congratulations again, and thank you for visiting us on The Morning Show. Thank you, Greg.